In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. And we're live. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Bradley. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So, Matt, I'm so excited to have you on the program, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because... You're here because of a cold email and everybody knows what a huge fan I am of the cold LinkedIn messages and the cold email. So congratulations on a successful cold email, my friend. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you know, I, I had to reach out. I listened to a, a few of your podcasts and I'm, I'm a big fan. And so, you know, sometimes you've got to you just got to give it a go, reach out and hope that, that people get back to you. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, coming back to me via email. My pleasure. My pleasure. So you are from a company called Honey Badger HQ. Awesome name, by the way. Um, I will not put words in your mouth. Why don't we uh, let you tell everyone who you are, where you're from, who you represent, and then we'll get started. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm from Honey Badger HQ. Um, thanks for complimenting our name. If you're wondering why it's called that, it's because we we see ourselves as being very fearless and ferocious when it comes to addressing fraud and, and building solutions to do so. Um, I'll talk more about Honey Badger in just a moment, but just so you know who I am, um, I'm Matthew Salisbury, 34 years old, currently live in London, UK, um, but in the past I've lived in Australia, Sydney, Australia for about five years, and then also in um, San Francisco for five years as well. Previously had a, a, a company that did a customer experience management that I founded and built, and that was acquired by a UK company. Um, and a couple of years back, I founded Honey Badger so that we could start to tackle some of the uh, the challenges in fraud. Um, so that's kind of my background, and that's why I'm, you know, I reached out to you via email to discuss some of this stuff. Yeah, and it's a great email. I mean, I'm reading it. It's it's a work of art. It starts off with flattering me, moves into what you guys do, and what the value is. Bravo, bravo, really <laughs> impressive. So. Um, What's really cool about what you guys do is you, as you put in the email, tackle the problem of user verification and authentication. And this is something that we're talking about all the time now because it used to be the case that fraud was considered kind of a back-end kind of thing when the, the payment page came up and these types of things. But we've been seeing now what we're calling an omni-touchpoint attack uh, surface from merch, or from fraudsters, excuse me, where everywhere that you interact with your customers every touch point fraudsters are finding a way to infiltrate your systems and steal information from uh, your customers or people shopping on your website so take me through what you are bringing what this solution is doing that's an improvement on what's been done before and why you think it's necessary in the current environment yeah so we came to this having worked with a number of organizations and financial institutions. 
Um, and what we found when working with them and, and with speaking with them is that often they have a lot of technology, uh, a lot of systems in place to detect suspicious behavior uh, and possible signs of fraud. And that's very useful, but ultimately what you end up with is a situation where you think something isn't quite right, but then you need to verify then, is that person who they say they are? And that's often where things can kind of get a little bit messy um, because there's limited ways to do that. Um, and so what we, we thought about when we, we you know, came to the, the table with a solution was what happens during instances like an application where somebody is maybe applying for something and they're saying they live at a certain address and you don't have any previous way of, of verifying them. There's no two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication in place. Um, and then scenarios where, for example, somebody may call up and say to the bank, well, I've lost my uh, mobile device, so you, you can't authenticate me using that method, uh, which is the most secure, of course. Um, um, or it could be that they've forgotten their security questions. So often we'll see that organizations will use things like mother's maiden name, name of first pet, the, the types of questions that we usually forget and that, that fraudsters can find the answers to. And so what we did is we thought, well, what is it that we can figure out about you that only you should know and that fraudsters can't easily find out? And I know from, from, from my work previously that humans are very good at pattern recognition and images are a great way of, of, of looking and, and um, challenging people to, to spot patterns. And so what we invented was a way where we could say, well, this is the address that you, you have or we have on file for you or that you've provided. Um, we'll go away and we'll use AI to find images from nearby to that address. So we'll use things like Street View, Google Street View, for example, to grab images of, of locations nearby. And then we'll put them into a grid, a bit like you get with um, some of the recapture stuff these days. Um, but instead of clicking traffic lights uh, and, and testing are you human versus a robot, what we're testing is, do you recognize these locations? Can you tell us the ones that are nearby to your to your address? And by doing that, what we see is that fraudsters don't have the context of where you live, so they're not able to, to identify and pick out those images, whereas you are. And so it means that we have an additional way that's much more secure than the typical security questions. And it's not easily forgotten because what we see is people remember images very well. Uh, even if the, the the scene changes slightly, a new business opens, or there's there's some work done to a to a sidewalk, you still remember that scene, um, and so it becomes a very powerful way of, of of us allowing to challenge you on you know who are you who you say you are. So that's that's a really innovative concept, and I I really really applaud you for finding a really cool new way to use kind of the old captcha technology that was invented by. Uh, by PayPal. This is this is where I plug. If anyone knows Elon, Elon, I want you on my podcast, please. Um, so I want you to take me through when you're creating these types of of um, new and innovative ways of detecting fraud. Do you find, from a customer experience perspective, that people are open to this? 
Do they feel like it's an invasion of privacy? We talk a lot on this podcast about the idea that as we move towards biometrics, we've, we've all done fingerprinting already, but we're probably not far away from retina scanning, things of this nature. Have you found that there have been concerns either by businesses or companies that visually showing someone that you kind of know where they lived or having this information out in the internet is troubling to them or do they just not care? So we've certainly had those questions because they're, they're very valid questions. Um, but if you look at this in, in context, um, what, what we do is we don't, for example, grab images of, of your address or your house or even um, you know your street in most cases. We're looking at the, the local area and then our technology is is capturing images from that local area that should be recognizable to you. So the first way we tackle this is to say, well, actually, there should be nothing there in those images um, that compromises where you live, for example. Um, and we have ways where our users can actually create a, a what's called a geo profile so they can specify an address. And it doesn't have to be where they live. It could be where they work, as you say, or it could be where they lived previously or just a town they know well. Um, but what you've got to do is actually compare this to other methods. So if we weren't going to ask um, or, or test you on images, then it would be those traditional questions such as your mother's maiden name and name of first pet and where you went to school. And that's actually much more sensitive because if that information is leaked um, or stolen, that never changes for most people unless you use fake information when you when you create your account. It, it doesn't actually change. Um, and so if somebody steals it, they can use it across lots of different sites and and, and so forth. Uh, and same with, with, with biometrics. Uh, if my fingerprint is stolen, um, then there's no going back on that. But when we have images from your local area, actually, if, if that's compromised or if it was compromised, we could generate new images um, and you could select them and they'd be different. Um, and that hasn't actually given away any of your personal information. Um, and so the way that we see it is that this is a lot, you know, a mo lot more conscious of, of privacy than some of those traditional methods are. And do you find, I'm just curious, when you speak with people about this, do they accept that argument? I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just asking if you find that people are willing to accept that or if the fact that it's visual, because visual is such a, a, a more visceral medium, I think, to people emotionally, right, than just putting in some text. And even if yeah. logically it, it is less invasive, I feel like the emotional response there would be stronger. We, we haven't really had much pushback, especially when we give people the opportunity to try this for themselves. Ultimately, because we're not using images of their address or, or things that are kind of attached to them, um, I think people feel much more comfortable. And there's a trade-off um, we see with many people is that actually the user experience and the customer experience is just as important to them um, and so there's that aspect where clicking an image is a much more user-friendly way of testing somebody than trying to make them recall 
a response to an answer that they wrote a couple of years ago. Um, so I think people, especially today, are more conscious that um, it's better to have something which provides better a better level of security. Um, and when they create their accounts and when they try this for themselves, what they have is full control so they can delete any of the profiles they've got, they can change them. So because we've built the, the platform and the system from the ground up to give the user control, I think if they did have any concerns, then they could just log in and delete their account um, themselves. And so we're really not seeing um, any pushback from users because um, you know for, for, for each of those reasons that I kind of outlined just then. Cool. Um, all right. So you mentioned right at the, the top that you still felt like two-factor authentication is the best way to protect against fraud in these types of scenarios. Can you take me through any good stories of where you have been able to maybe catch something that had slipped through the cracks using this technology? Yeah, um, I'll give you an example. So in my previous company that I founded, um, one of the things that we did was actually uh, have have ways for organizations to create surveys. Uh, we all, I think we're all familiar with surveys, but our typical customer was government. So the types of surveys that were being um, pushed out were um, often about decisions being made uh, about the local community, uh, about the area, infrastructure, you know, buildings, etc. And we would see that, especially in the US, that there would be bad actors who would come in and actually try and skew um, the results by submitting false fraudulent responses. And I'm not talking about just individuals doing surveys multiple times. I'm talking about overseas bad actors um, that were submitting thousands of responses using bots. Um, and that's an example where because somebody's submitting a survey response in an, an anonymized way, there's no option for two-factor authentication in, in that case because we don't want to ask for mobile or, or email or other methods because that then compromises their, their privacy. Um, so we were able to um, you know, in, in that scenario, this, this type of approach um, would be useful because uh, we can then challenge them and say, well, first of all, are you human? Um, because a bot, bot isn't very good at, at you know, selecting images that they recognize. Um, but also, if you're answering questions about a, a town in, in the US, well, do you actually know that town? Do you live there? Because that's the type of feedback we need is from people who live, live nearby. So that's kind of a uh, an example in type of you know research survey space in the the more kind of traditional financial services space uh, what we see with some of our customers is that a method of attack with by fraudsters is to contact the call center and what happens then is the the fraudster will say well i've lost my mobile device or it's been stolen and so I can't use two-factor authentication, and and that's one of the challenges with 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 MFA and, and, and two-factor is that it, it works well until that device is not available or can't be used, and um, and then what would happen 
previously before Honey Badger is that an organization would then revert to the security questions, which the fraudster would know. Um, instead, what they can do now is click a button and it sends a link to the individual's email or, or mobile um, device to click and take a geo-authentication challenge. And so what that means is that we've got an extra level of security um, that the, the, the person can go through um, so we can recover their account and, and you know, provide them, reset their, their information. And so there's kind of two examples there where one where two-factor was never an option and one where two-factor is the preferred method, but in some cases, fraudsters are just going to try and bypass that. Yeah, no, that that's really, really interesting. I have to ask you on the survey, are you talking like Chinese government people or are you talking more maybe developers that are trying to win contracts in, in the country? Um, we Chinese government was what we saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. Yeah. The CCP. Yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of shocking to to see, you know, um, especially since you know some of these surveys aren't particularly big issues, but um, you know, hey, it was there. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a really incredible phenomenon to me, and I think it rolls into the next question I wanted to ask you was: so you're basically telling me that you're up against the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, for for those of you who aren't politics junkies, and you know that they're going to try and counter this. And that idea gets me down the rabbit hole of as you're developing these new strategies, what are you doing to continuously improve them, tweak them, make sure that you're plugging potential vulnerabilities for a lot of at least the United States. And I assume for Great Britain as well, you can go onto Google maps and look around and see what a town looks like. So I, I assume that these are problems that you've thought through. What is that process like when you're trying to tweak your strategies? Because a lot of merchants struggle with that, right? You deploy a strategy and as they say, no strategy survives first contact with the enemy and you have to continuously revamp it. Yeah. So first and foremost, what we have are people in the organization and also external advisors uh, that think purely about how can I, how could I overcome what we've created? So how could I find a way around it? So their their job is really to think like a fraudster, um, and that's that's the a crucial step in this because as you said, they will always find a way to try and combat it and to get around it. Um, and so we we have thought about a lot of those things that you mentioned just to give you an idea of, of what we've done to tackle them. Um, one is we've 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 done a lot of testing first of all, and we've found that it's very difficult to walk around the town and and get to know every single location, and that's what's great about the geo authentication is there's almost like an uh, an infinite number of checks we can generate or challenges, um, because on for a typical town on on Google um, Earth or sorry Google Street View there'd be millions of of, of frames of images with different views etc. But as you said, it is possible that if if someone somewhere had a supercomputer, they could maybe pay to use the, the Google Street View API, index all of the images, and then perform some sort of um, lookup when, an, when a challenge is presented to them, right? So what we've thought about is 
not just what is possible today, but what could be possible in future with, with more powerful technology. So in that case, we have to go, okay, well, what else can we add to the solution to make the challenge more difficult and to overcome some of those things? And so what we started to do was actually build our AI and, and our machine learning to go and source additional information beyond just images. So what we're working on right now is looking at maybe your your demographics, your background, where your jobs, your interests, your hobbies, whatever information we know about you or you provide, and then using AI to generate questions that only you should know. Um, so we're actually going beyond images and looking at additional data points and it, it could be as simple as you know hey if you recognize this 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 doctors or, or this gym well how long does it take you to walk there that could be you know an, an additional data point we could ask or it could be more complex and we could say well actually um if you've lived in vancouver and tel aviv then you should know uh, these questions about these two cities uh and so we can derive that uh, using AI and ask those questions. Um, so, so that's a an example of of how we um, have kind of adapted it. And then we're even actually thinking beyond this. And this is something that we've we've patented is to go. Okay, well, how can we also use deep fakes in our solution? And what I mean by that is, can we take an image that you recognize and then insert something or remove something from that image? and say to you what's not right about this has there been you know is this statue shouldn't be in the in the center of of new york or maybe you know some small town or maybe there's a picture of a a shop and it's and a color has been changed or whatever it may be and we're looking at how deep fakes can actually play a role as well and so we're just we're just constantly looking ahead and challenging and coming up with every scenario where we think a fraudster could try and bypass um and then put something in place to combat that. That's really, really cool. I, I want to ask you, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, I can't help but think as cool as, as this technology is, how incredible it is that we have to go to this length to fight fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about deep fakes, super, you mentioned supercomputers, millions of images on Google Earth. Um, I guess this is the, the part where I ask you to, to put on your thought leader futurist hat. Where are we going from here? Can you maybe share some of the stories that you might have about things that you've seen people try to do to get around this system, if you're able or willing to share that, even if it's just one small example, maybe something that you plugged, a leak that you plugged eventually, but how, how are fraudsters adapting to something? I mean, this seems so next level to me. Mm -hmm. what, what, like, what is next? Where are we going with all of this? Well, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> The, you know, there's a few few ways to look at this. I think I'll answer it in two parts in terms of what's next. You know, what's going to be really interesting, I think, in this space is how the metaverse plays a role. And I don't want to, I'm not just saying the metaverse because I want to throw out, you know, terminology that's that's quite current. But if, if you imagine 
we are in a in a VR world, for example, and we were accessing services and you know walking into our virtual banks or or whatever it may be, there has to be a way to authenticate people in that world, right? And one of the interesting things will be, well, how does current technology translate into that kind of setting, right? Because if you're in a VR headset, how are you going to type in your mother's maiden name? Or how are you going to type in your name of your first pet? Or if right now in, in VR, if you were to authenticate, you'd probably have to take your headset off, look at your, your phone to approve a notification or to enter a you know one-time pass. It doesn't work great, right? So there has to be changes to accommodate that. And being visual and using imagery is one way that, that, that could be applied in the metaverse. I think that's an interesting thing to look at here is how does how does this how does current techniques adapt to a change changing ways and behaviors and metaverse being one of them in terms of then what we've seen people trying to get get around this this stuff early on we did have an example where people would try and generate multiple challenges so that they could try and see which images were appearing multiple times so that way they could kind of brute force the system to say, well, I keep seeing these images show up in challenges. So it's probably these images that a user has previously selected or has, or has told us that they that they recognize if, if it's like a geo profile setup. And so that's something that we, we saw in our in our logs. It was you know alerted to us that we had a user who was in a, in a short succession requesting challenges. What we did to combat that was to put in place limits on how many times images can be used. If you go over those limits, then it asks you to generate new new profile images so that you're not constantly being shown the same images. It's just that people try and get kind of smart around things like that. We haven't seen anything too sophisticated just yet because this is really new technology, right? This is does not anybody else doing this kind of thing. That's why we filed the patent uh, around what we're doing. We're, we're just waiting and monitoring and we know it will come, especially as this is more widely adopted. That, that's a, hopefully a couple of examples that, that share some insights. Yeah, that, that's really incredible. And I do think about that. I think we're probably, I mean, AR is going to be before the VR, but definitely we've talked many times on this podcast about once you start tying things into the internet of things, like a car, like your glasses, there's just so much more at stake because it's one thing, someone steals my credit card, it's devastating, it's awful, it's why this industry exists to prevent it, but it's way different than somebody taking over your car and saying, send me $5,000 right now, I'm gonna drive you into a barrier on the highway, right? And <laughs> so if you are building your fraud strategy, as you said also, now without thinking about that, you're you're way behind because in five years, 10 years, there's gonna be new ways of doing business and interacting with consumers and you need to be thinking about it right now. Yep, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, so if you had to give everyone maybe one kind of idea for how you think they should be trying to do these exercises of thinking about what's going to be in the future, anticipating the future, what would it be? You know, I think one thing that I would say, and this is a little bit unconventional in, in, in a way, it's a little bit different, but hopefully that's useful, is in a way, fraud and fraudsters are very creative people because they come up with very creative strategies. 
And what I find really helps is to go to people, friends, family, connections that I have. And, and often if they're not involved in cybersecurity, it, it helps. And then just tell them and give them a scenario and say, how would you go about doing this? Or how would you attack this if this was the setup that we had? Or if you wanted to get, gain some information or gather some information, what would you do? How would you go about it? And I'm always surprised by some of the creative ideas that people come up with. My my kind of advice or, or kind of not, maybe not advice, but what works for me is when you've got a problem or a challenge, open it up. And especially if you've got somebody in your team who's quite disagreeable or, or likes to, to challenge the status quo, that type of individual is a great person to say, hey, this is what we're doing right now. How would you bypass it and and kind of give them that challenge of thinking about it and coming back to you with, with ways? Because there's some people that are really good at that. They like to find flaws with, with issues and it takes with, with systems and it, it takes some creativity to do that. And sometimes some ignorance helps as well, which is why I mentioned not always using people in, you know, in the cybersecurity space. And so that's that's one of the, the methods that, that I use is really just asking people to say, hey, here's what here's what we're doing. For example, with geo authentication and geo profile, how would you get around that or try and try and feel it? So that's that's one method that I, that I hopefully will be of use to other managers out there when they come to defining their strategy, make sure there has a robust system in place for asking for feedback from others and giving them channels and ways of, of challenging what you plan to do. Awesome. Well, Matt, it's really been a pleasure getting to talk to you about this technology. It's, it's really cool. It's definitely something new and innovative and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and talk to us about it. So why don't you let everyone know one more time where they can find Honey Badger on the web and then we'll sign off. Yeah, so thank you, Bradley. Really appreciate it. Keep up the the good work with your, your podcast because as I know there's a lot of people out there that are getting great insights from from you know the, the people you speak with, the information you provide. So thanks, thanks again. If you want to find out more inf- information about Honey Badger or about me, you can visit honeybadgerhq.com. Uh, and that's where you'll see information about our, our solution and what we do, and and we can send you demos and, and so forth. So thanks again, Bradley. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take care.